0: Welcome to the Professional Technical Interviewee. I'm Taylor Dorsett. In my six-year career in technical recruiting, I realized that just about every company does technical interviews differently. Many very good senior engineers do not do well in technical interviews, despite being great developers. The only way to get better at interviewing is to practice. Many early career engineers don't really know what a technical interview is like until they're in their first one. Our goal here is to change that and shed some light on the technical interview. My guest today is Brad Bierman. He's the VP of Engineering at Everspring. We talk about what he looks for during a technical interview, a little intro into system design, and learn about his interviewing horror stories. Hope you enjoy. Hello, how are you, Brad?
1: Doing well, how are you doing today?
0: Doing well. Uh, I guess today is Brad Bierman. Uh, He is the vice president of technology with Everspring. Before that was with Kapow as the director of technology. And I think we've known each other probably since then, maybe a little bit before as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, hey, the the time keeps flying here, but the experience (laughs) keeps building, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thanks so much for for being on. Um, I know, obviously, we've worked together in the past, even um, bringing some some people on, or even having conversations through doing interviews. And I know you've, you know, especially in the Chicagoland area, probably hired dozens, if not hundreds, of people over the years. So, would <laughs> love to um, get insights into kind of what that interview process has looked like and how you know you've developed that strategy over the years, and then also, you know, yourself interviewing, um, how that's gone and probably shifted since you you know moved from an individual. A contributor standpoint to more of a director to a VP level role, right?
1: Yeah, no, that uh, that absolutely makes sense. Cause you know, at the end of the day, that, that's a journey. Yeah. That, that goes on. You know, it's a career journey, right?
0: Absolutely. Uh, could you just give us an intro of uh, Everspring kind of the, what you do there and what the team looks like now?
1: Yeah, so at, at Everspring, we're in this space called EdTech short for education technology. And so we work with a, a lot of uh, top tier universities in bringing their online programs uh, to life courses. And that. But the part where we really play strongly is what we call online program management, OPM, as the industry knows it. And that is really setting up of, and this is higher ed, by the way, too. So this is like graduate, MBA, things like that. Uh, setting up courses, Online, the marketing of them, capturing leads, potential students. We even handle student services, student advisory, student success coach, mm-hmm. uh, the curriculum, and then the overall degree plan for that. We handle all the calls for the universities. Oh, wow. in, in fact, when you call into the universities, you know when you call in, uh, it's coming into EverSpring, but it shows the university name out there. So we're kind of this white label. Ghost in the machine, if you will, uh, for that. So, anytime a university has something new they would like to offer online as part of maybe an MBA program, a course, most universities aren't really set up for that. Uh, You know, doing this online curriculum, the search engine marketing of it, all that. So, we handle all that. So, all the technology behind that, as you can imagine, hosting a lot of that stuff, uh, you know that falls under kind of the whole realm of what Everspring technology is. And our technology team today, it, it continues to to grow. We are probably sitting somewhere around 18 people uh, you know, with contractors in that. It's been an interesting year, 2020 for us like a lot of companies. Um, you know, we've got office downtown in our headcount when we first went out remote for pandemic. Um, was considerably less than what it is right now. We've hired 40 people. Now, wow. if we were to go back to the office, we wouldn't fit all of them in there. <laughs> and so, and one of the things that this pandemic has brought for us, as you can imagine, that whole education space has just been turned up, upside down on its heads as, as there's oh, no sure. really in, in classroom things going on there. So this really hits on our sweet spot. So it's been booming for us and very challenging. and. Some long, busy nights.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and probably adds a whole new level of complexity for interviewing as well, right? If you've onboarded forty people throughout a year, where you know it's tough to meet someone and shake their hand and you know really get to know them well, um, that interviewing remotely, I know, has been a challenge for a lot of people.
1: It has been, you know, and some of the things that you just take for granted, you know, bringing in a you know a dev candidate, you know, developer, or something, or even a systems person. Mm-hmm hey, let's do a whiteboard exercise. Oh, whoops, we don't have a whiteboard, do we? (laughs) Uh, Now, there are some online tools for interviewing uh, as such, but they're not completely mouse-friendly or touchpad-friendly and that. So, yeah, it's it's kind of stretched, I think, a lot of different tools here. And in in fact, here, just last week, I was on a a CTO roundtable with several Mm -hmm. other folks here in Chicago. And this was one of the things we had brought Mm -hmm. up uh, you know, tools such as Miro, Jamboard, and other things like that. It's not just interviewing, but it's also our company, also yeah. folks in the business. Um, that's where a lot of communication goes on. And, that, and so we've actually piloted different things such as X-Pen with, you know, different software in that. So, True. yes, these interviews, uh, that that's also part of it, too. And so, yep.
0: <laughs> Early in 2020, when I was still in recruiting uh, and There was probably a four-week period, you know, right when um, the pandemic hit that a lot of companies who were only in office and only knew how to interview in office had to shift drastically, right? And and really realize like, what tools do we need? How do these work? Do they work well? And you're kind of evaluating on the fly while trying to do interviews and evaluating individuals. So uh, certainly an interesting time, if nothing else. Uh, Yeah. What are you typically looking for, obviously it depends on the role, but I guess, what are you typically interviewing for um, when you're interviewing for your team at Everspring?
1: It varies because we have quite a cross section of technologies we have to do. So Mm -hmm. we're, you know, obviously we're polyglottic in different areas. In our one roof, you'll encounter, we do Java. We've got Spring Boot that we're running stuff on. Mm -hmm. We've got Python and there, we've got some PHP going on. We've got Scala going on. And so you know there's a multi-language facet going on there. We're cloud native and we're in AWS. So a lot of things related to those services we do. Uh, another part that uh, you know, I think makes us a little bit unique too is, is we have so many different life cycles. We go through software development, system development because one part of our business is really waterfall driven. Uh, another part of it is straight up software development for something like Evercourse or Course Builder, which is a product we have, a SaaS product. And that goes through you know, the agile, uh, you know, incremental type build cycling. We've embraced scaled agile framework with the architectural runway enablers in that. And then we've also got a hybrid and here with a little bit of waterfall in front end, and then, you know, kind of an agile delivery at the end here, and so, and, and a lot of it is driven by, you know, some of the universities are just, it's an older way, uh, sure, it's a different way, uh, and, and that and that's kind of how our, our business started with them too, So it's like we've, we've got to think like the customer, and that, but yet we've got to be a modern shop, uh, and do that, and so getting that to come together is, Kind of challenges. So yeah, we've got an infrastructure team, developers, QA. Uh, We've got what I call risk management, too, where we've got project managers, scrum masters, and things like that. And so in general, that's that's the makeup. And then we've got uh, kind of a help maintenance desk area, too. We recently got into e-commerce this past year, too, which was a new area where we were selling our own courses online. And now we've also partnered with other places, uh, you know, like FireEye, to bring corporate training into and different technologies in that. And so there's a Shopify platform and oh, wow. problem for that, which is some new skills we've had to do. And then a large part of our core, I would say is content management uh, with BrightSpot. Uh, we had one that we built on our own, but we've actually been migrating to a, a content management system. So yeah, just a whole bunch of things going on there.
0: Interesting. I mean, it seems like someone who would have the capacity to to wear lots of hats is is probably something that's important uh, due to just, I mean, it's not a massive team to do what sounds like a lot of different um, kind of responsibilities.
1: It is That's a challenge because we have a more of a shared resource type Mm -hmm. of thing going on here. So yeah, you can be wearing multiple hats because at any point, the business may go in this direction say oh heavy opm oh now heavy e-commerce oh now we need to go do reports which is a tableau offering that out there so we've got a lot of pivots and context switching to and that's something not everybody's good at as a developer by the way you know somebody comes in full stack there's always been this debate of a full stack developer well okay so you you know front end you know you're rearing you know back end scripting and that but usually somebody as somebody has a focus more so on one area than the other yeah and we often have to really kind of stretch both say okay we're, we're doing react we've also got an Angular. we've got some view my gosh you know there's three right there In yeah. how? Uh, and, and so I have to have to pull somebody that's been doing some spring boot and say, OK, well, you're full stack. I'm going to have to put you on a little bit of, uh, you know, react over here. And I know you're not real crisp on it, and everything, but, you know, it's a, it's a good exercise. But some folks really want to stay focused on something. So we've got a lot of context switching. And it's it's challenging because it's a small company, but it's got a large portfolio and would, would have typically been handled by a larger company, a higher headcount is now handled by a smaller headcount, very versatile switching to handle that type of thing. So we're uh, we're, we're continuing to build on it to, and we leverage contracting, you know, staff hog heavily too, so.
0: Sure. It might be easier to have some, you know, if you have contractors who are able to focus in on one thing where, you know, this is a contained piece, right, that they can handle. And then your internal folks, you can move around a little bit more when um, maybe they're, I don't know if creative is the right word, but maybe more adaptive because they understand all the systems better, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Do you have a, a... it sounds like when you're you're screening for people, it, it could be challenging, right? Do you have a standardized system to do technicals or does it change depending on the role and kind of um, what you're looking for at that, that moment?
1: You know, it, there are some things we we do try to standardize on, you know, if, if it's just straight ahead development, you know, I need somebody to come in and do front end development, or if it's just, hey, I need a good JavaScript, or I'm sorry, a, a Java developer mm-hmm. uh, to come in. Yeah, we'll do the the typical type of coding test. And when I say typical, the usual suspects on that, you know, some type of algorithmic problem to do. Sure. Um, you know, let's let's do that maybe on the board. Let's uh, you know maybe even do that online here mm-hmm. with that and, and try things up. I don't get too gimmicky with that. You know, FizzBuzz. You know, the test. To, um, I want something that's a little bit more practical and along those lines. But I'll also ask questions, even no matter where somebody's at in their development career, mm-hmm. whether they're still fairly green out of, uh, and, and we've had folks come in from boot camps too, mm-hmm. uh, who have moved on and have been successful in this environment. Um, I'll have folks in their early part also get to know some of the systems pieces. Too. And obviously, as a more senior developer, I expect that as well. And it's, maybe it's a leader of principles. So I'll start sprinkling in some systems-related questions, too, because coming in the door, um, you know, when we learn our development on a framework, let's say, like a, a Ruby on Rails mm-hmm. type of thing, I think for a lot of folks, they learn how to do it, you know, and spin up a virtual machine and start running that environment on there. Well, a lot of it has gone to containers, you know, and so now having a container for a local environment and being able to deploy that out there through some type of magical cloud engineering, it goes out there and voila, it, it works. Sure. Like the thing, well, what is going on there? And they're going to be in discussions with other folks here that may be referring to yeah we've got a couple of ec2s running you know t3 sized and we have to you know take in consideration you know terraform because we're doing all that to um, you know, help coordinate a lot of things that are going on here you know we'll hear these names such as terraform ansible you know chef puppet what is that yeah and so i'll start asking about i'm not expecting anybody to be an expert but i always encourage folks to start to get knowing what that is early on. In fact, when you go to learn a framework like like Rails was stay on that one, you know, if you establish something in AWS to store your, uh, you know, your assets, if you're gonna go out there and run it on like Heroku, mm-hmm. you'll wanna get, you know, an S3 set up in AWS. So, you know, where are you keeping your image files and stuff? Like that, if you want to run that out there. And so just knowing things like that, what is S3? And I'll ask a question like that. And and some folks will say, Oh, that's that's storing stuff. So that must be a database. It's like, well, not necessarily. Or some people say, Well, I think that's really just a gigantic drive that it's stored on. And they'll kind of have that tone. But no, let's find out really what that is and talk about that because it's file storage. Okay. S3 is. Probably perhaps the most used thing out there in AWS, and you as a developer coming in, and you go to publish something out there that's live. Where's that being stored at? And you know S3 is is where it goes. And so it's it doesn't follow a folder structure. You know, like you would say, everything in it is used as really an object, and in place of using a hierarchical directory like you would expect on a drive. Yeah, S3 stores files really in a flat organizations of containers and those containers are called buckets yeah and so inherently just by using s3 you're already using containers you just might not know it uh, yeah so there's a good starting place right there you know
0: yeah that's interesting i i think a lot of maybe a lot of companies or maybe even individuals think you know when you go from being early career mid-level to a senior developer you're expected to know that stuff but there's not really a clear path to when do you learn that stuff right it's just great now I'm a senior developer and someone asks me can I spin up this s3 bucket right and do I know how to do that or not right and i think that has to come from like you're saying early career either being interested in and doing your own research or having a team or a you know a manager who's saying this is something that you know you may not know about it now but it's something that you should start looking into and kind of helping them get into that a little bit more
1: yeah, yeah, exactly, and um, I have developers that are more at junior level who, yeah, I'm expecting already to use Lambda, because that's part of what we've got in our system, right there, so just because you're, you know, more at that early part of curve of your development, um, yeah, you still need to know where stuff is running, and, you know, tell me about Lambda, you know, it's this service that allows, you know, the user to really run code without a Server, okay, and you know, tell me a little bit more about that. How's that kind of work? And you're really kind of only paying for the compute time. You know, it's really no need to charge when you're when things are not running, when your code is not running. So it's this nice thing that you can kind of tap into, and uh, you know, it supports code written in you know, Node, Java, Python, and other languages that you know, really kind of supported by Amazon's Linux, and so. That's a that's a key piece, you know. So, S3, Lambda. I mentioned EC2 mm-hmm. earlier, um, Amazon's you know Elastic Compute Cloud. It's affectionately abbreviated EC2. All right. There's a whole lingo that really goes around that around sizing uh, and, and that, and so this whole lexicon of of AWS, you know, S3, EC2, Lambda. Uh, Glacier, Amazon, SNS, CloudFront. Uh, what else I got here? You know, EBS, you know, which is, you know, Elastic Box Store, Kinesis. Some of these things you just don't, you're not going to pick up and like necessarily in the day of boot camp. So where do I pick that up? And where yeah. I often take a junior is let's learn the basics. You know, let's, let's learn where the server is and tell me how... What are different types of databases mm-hmm. you've got out there? Because these names that we're encountering from AWS is really a brand name for right. some of this concept we already know about, uh, or at least I would expect people to know about. Them, but that's not always a given. You know, they need to, you know, learn some of these things. So there's where a dialogue starts in an interview, for me. Uh, yeah, and I'll start asking, hey, you know, how would you go about picking out? database that's a real simple question but sometimes that gets into a phd answer sure
0: yeah um, absolutely uh y- you know what's interesting i mean as you describe kind of what like how that, that process or kind of you're leading people towards that i'm thinking back like as an early career individual myself um i realize sometimes when we're talking about anything in the cloud or anything server related for my own work that's, it's very easy for me to go, okay, well, we use digital ocean right now. So, okay, well, once we start touching digital ocean stuff, uh, I can, my eyes can kind of glaze over, right? And then it's a bunch of magic that happens and like, I'm following along, right? And they're like, I want to learn. So I'm paying attention, but I can see how it's very easy to go. Well, that's the senior individual's job, right? Like someone else knows how to do that magic and they'll make sure that it gets done. Um, and then all of a sudden something's live, right? Instead of, um, I just get it up to a certain point. Right, so I think there's there has to be that interest, right? Um, apart from um, you know showing that interest and kind of asking about it, do you see another way or have advice for people who are early career who want to learn more about that?
1: You know, it's it's one of these things where you just got to dig in to it, and you know, I go back to some really some of the more basic things in computer science. Uh, you know, learn about catch, You know, what's the difference between There's different types. We've got application cache, distributed, you know, global. Global's you know the most used here. Mm -hmm. Principles such as what's replication, you know, so you know, transactional, merged, you know, those types of things. Some of them can be synchronous or asynchronous replication. Redundancy Mm -hmm. is a big thing out there because when you set up your architecture in AWS, we want to make sure there's there's failover and that so. Yeah, those terms—you know, cache, replication, redundancy, you know, proxy. What's an index? Uh, and that, and then you know, what's an app server? And you know, what's load balancing? Right. Because what you'll end up finding right after you kind of learn those principles is you go over to the AWS world and you'll find out that oh, there's Elastic Beanstalk. Oh, that's just really this over here. Uh, A web, you know, an app server, oh, that's, oh, that's EC2. That's what they refer to as EC2. Uh, And that, but still learn about what an app server, how that works, because there's about three different, you know, there's several different flavors they come in. You know, you can have single thread, single process, multi-thread, single process, multi-process, single thread, you know, there's different flavors of that. Uh, for those who have been, you know, I'll go back to the Rails framework, because I think a lot of people, that that's where they learn, I think, in a lot of the boot camps and that, so you'll see Puma come up, or Fusion Passenger, you know, and what kind of server is that, you know, is that multi-thread, is that multi-process, or is it a hybrid, a mix of both, so I'll ask questions around that, and Oh, we're running on AWS EC2. Which one do you think we're using? And they'll say, well, it's AWS's server. But truth be known, it's they have a contract with passenger, you know. So they're they're running passengers uh, hybrid. I tend to say, okay, cool. That that's perfect. Good to know that because you've got passenger running locally on your laptop, but what's out there in space running? Yeah. Uh, and and know about that and and then you can start to go into a, a dialogue. Well, let's talk about the global interpreter lock on that, the go, and you know how that thing works and stuff with high throughputs uh, and stuff like that. So that gets a little bit more complicated. But just having an awareness of, I think, some of those basic foundational computer science terms. Uh, yeah, right there. You know, load balancing. What what is that? How's that work?
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like understand the concepts, and then you'll realize. I mean. I think this is common in in a lot of the world of software development. It's like if you understand the concept well, when you switch into a new language or new framework or whatever it is, you realize, oh, this is that same thing just with a different name, right? Or a exactly. little slightly different flavor, right? Uh, okay, that's so a that's good analogy.
1: Yeah, that, that's a good comparison, right there. Um, you know, we were talking databases earlier. You know, how to select one of those. One of the questions I ask a developer is, "Hey, tell me about CAP theorem. What is that? How do you use that?" That sounds like something straight out of a CS book, and it's going to be on the test. You know, like you know Avogadro's number out of chemistry. Sure. Or it's, <laughs> it's it's really not. It's some people like using that as a rule of thumb. It's an abbreviation for you know, consistency, availability. And then partitioning tolerance CAP yeah and you're picking two out of three of that and so you know somebody tells me that uh, well I would pick a relational database you know relational database management system or DBMS well though it has consistency and availability but not necessarily friendly at partitioning yeah and then, so there's where they're starting to use that so they'll say, well. MySQL Postgres, you know, those are good version, you know, examples of that. Uh if they went ahead to the bonus round on interview question, uh, you know, at that level, well, give me an example of something that's high availability with partitioning tolerance mm-hmm. with that. And you know, now they'll start thinking about NoSQL. So it's SQL database versus a NoSQL database where it's not just you NoSQL know, is kind of more tables columns type of thing. And these others, you can ultimately have, you know, key value, column-oriented, document oriented. You know, you start hearing these other names such as, you know, MongoDB, Cassandra, Redis. And that, and that's how you start to get familiar. Those are brand names right there, but you're really looking at just a particular type of, it's a NoSQL database. And that's what would be a basic, you know, computer science piece right there. So back to the question, how do you pick something out? What's kind of those criteria? Yeah. Right there and just basic fundamental thing right there, but now when you want to start benchmarking these databases to each other. Well, what's the difference really between Mongo and Cassandra? Okay, I wouldn't expect somebody that's still a little bit more junior to do that, but they should be able to tell me that's a noSQL database. Well, what's the difference between that and Postgres? Well, Postgres is a Relational database and there's a difference. That's a fair question. Yeah, um, I think yeah. Just know what that is because you're going to hear those when you come in the door. So don't don't stay in the dark for too long.
0: Yeah, sure. Would you would you say that's closer to a systems design interview than what a lot of people would think of as a, a pure you know coding interview or technical interview?
1: Good question. Um, where is the dividing line on that? Because if I were to go into a systems type interview, we're going to start getting in the weeds a little bit. Yeah. Here, and that, and what does in the weeds look like? Um. You know, that's a that gets into an area that is, I will say, of constant change mm-hmm. out there with cloud engineering <clears throat> and. You know, going into some of the most intermediate areas, I would be taking a look at, you know, what are the types of load balancers in EC2? You know, and there's, you know, typically three types there. You're going to have one that's an app load balancer, one for network, and then one that's, you know, like a classic. And then, you know, explain to me a T2 instance that's... Compute optimize versus memory optimize. Mm-hmm. Where would I shift on those, and how would I measure that? You know, and somebody probably say, "Well, I probably want to start looking at load balancing, or um, you know, not load balancing, but um, probably some type of capacity around that uh, to find out, you know, where does it break?" And using a tool like Gatling, you know, mm-hmm. how much traffic can that take, and how do you know if you if you scale vertically? As opposed to horizontally vertically is more capacity in the actual machine instance uh, the xenon processor having more you know power that's more of a vertical thing as to horizontal is well let's get more of those mm-hmm. okay and just more instance of it and there's where you know adbs and, and those companies make uh, you know a lot of their strength mm-hmm. and that so there's a system thing and then we're going back to this discussion of containers. There's a whole nother world right there. And you know, for a system design or system type of level, let's talk about an orchestrator uh, for, for containers. And, and so I would automatically expect them to know how to work Docker image. Uh-huh. Uh, and, that. and if they've used you know, Swarm, that's fair too. But a lot of it has moved into AWS. Which is their uh, ECS service. Yeah. Drink a water here. (laughs) But that whole notion of orchestration, Mm -hmm. you start to get in this dialogue about Kubernetes. And Kubernetes is I'll start to ask people about tell me how you set that up. And how do you work that? Um, and how often do you do you bake something mm-hmm. out there? And working with different types of key pairs in, in AWS, uh, and then working in different services, there because we've gotten a new paradigm here that has really emerged in more recent years here, which has become affectionately known as this infrastructure as code. Sure. Which almost comes full circle, because now you're talking about developing with infrastructure,
0: yeah,
1: uh, and so for something that's a fundamental function just out there running on a lambda, mm-hmm. I'd like to take that and integrate that with several others, which are just you know chunks of code, running a function that's out there real simplistically, and tie those together. Well, how do I synchronize all those together? There's where orchestration comes in in, in Kubernetes. Yeah, it's how you deploy something like that in a pipeline. There's more of a system discussion, and then I, I think the other part of the discussion. This is probably me more more my level of, you know, vice president of technology having known a budget. I gotta watch out for the AWS bill. Uh, you know, how do we manage that? And so there's a set of tools that I'll ask them about. That's in AWS. That's commonly used. You know, CloudWatch and things mm-hmm. like that. And there's all kinds of different aftermarket i would say third party tools to help you manage your, your budget and all kinds of different names have forum fund names uh i remember somebody once was once making fun of that saying oh yeah you could get uh cloud budget cloud dollars cloud nachos <laughs> whatever you want to call it but it
0: loud beer money right <laughs> yeah exactly
1: uh, but that becomes key when you start becoming uh, you know, not only a lead developer, but kind of a principal developer mm-hmm. is, is working with that and an architect, uh, a cloud architect. You know, what does that monthly bill start to look like and how do I optimize that? Now you're going to have a discussion with developers. Sure. And, you know, hey, what is the, what are these payloads that we've got going on and how can we minimize that uh, and do different things? So kind of a whole different type of interview, but yet there is a, a part that does come, full circle there. And I would say where these two worlds really meet heavily is deployment. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, interesting um well i was i you typically ask people uh how they think they do in technical interviews i'm assuming though it's been a little while since you've probably whiteboarded um uh for in a job interview right but it seems like this type of thing is probably something you'd be more likely to be asked about right like how would you design a system um but when you were doing technicals like how did you feel do you feel like you were good at technical interviews like your standard whiteboarding or you know um algorithm problem in the past
1: That's a that's an interesting thing do I think I, I never really consider myself good at any of these things here I, I'm good at constantly learning how much I don't know sure <laughs> and I, that keeps me humble uh, but it's what do I need to know to do the job mm-hmm. uh, what do I know to to be productive
0: uh, yeah at the,
1: end of the day here and my experience I think over the years has not only been you know getting through the interview myself, but I have also found there's people who are good at these technical interviews at giving them, and there's people who are not good at giving them either. Sure. Some people will really go off into the deep end, and what does the deep end look like? You know, <laughs> you know there's different parts of a language. You know, In Java, we've got this nice thing called enum. Mm-hmm. Java people know what that is. Over in Ruby, nope, you guys create that. <laughs> and now you've got you know the kind of these factions here it's like oh our language has that you got to go over and create that but i get it so you'll find some interviewers really hone in on it on that type of thing right there and okay that that's cool we can go into that because when i go to solve something on the board or on the terminal you know am i going to use that type of feature am i going to create that right there and It's always important no matter what kind of interview, if it's a software interview or a systems interview, I tend to always focus on what are the requirements, right? Because, you know, equate this to being a a golfer or an archer. You know, you can be the best archer, the best golfer, but if the clock, if the target keeps moving, the flag keeps moving, you're never going to hit it. Or if you just got your eyes closed, and just take a swing or a release at it, you won't do it. And what I'm trying to say there is it's the requirements, knowing where you're trying to aim. Yeah. Where you got to hit. And so when I interview, I like to ask questions. When I'm being interviewed, I like to ask questions yeah. uh, back for it. And it gives a lot of insight as to how somebody thinks. Mm-hmm. And it also gives a lot of insight as to who you might be working for too. Sure, It's a two-way street. And I find a lot of developers don't often think about that. They're, they're really concerned about, am I going to be able to get this problem right? Because uh, there's times somebody gave me a coding test and I, I couldn't get through it. Mm-hmm. I asked a lot of questions. We had a heck of a dialogue going on and they ended up hiring me anyway. Yeah. I, I love where you were going. I, it would have helped me get out of a jam. Like, oh, okay, cool. I couldn't get through your problem, but I think, given enough time, I probably could have figured it out. And that, so that happens too, and that, and that's cool. That's somebody really on the other side, you know, the manager, showing a lot of things there, and that is not only flexibility, mm-hmm. but seeing potential and be able to grow, you and listen and work through a problem. Because no matter what level, this is somebody that's an experience manager. They'll recognize that. Hey, requirements is still a challenge at any level. Yeah. It's not always clear at, at times, and it's you know, one of the biggest bugaboos for us. And so, get somebody that's good at that. Um, and that I've been in coding interviews where it was just somebody who was just they wanted a heads down developer, and they want somebody that you know. Boom, knows those libraries like mm-hmm. that and knows all the common patterns like that. I yeah, I might, I might not know them all. And yeah. everything coding is is a, is an everyday thing. If you're a developer and that is for your job, you write code every day. It's mm-hmm. like a musician that has to practice their instrument every day. Write something even on the weekend, write something, you know, after you get off work even. Yeah. It's just it's practice it's you get good repetition is mastery with it so it's it's that that that's a piece that's kind of a long answer to a short question you ask but hopefully it gives you some idea about where that goes
0: no that's helpful I mean and in, in typically my follow-up question was going to be if you have a system that you use to break down technical interview questions especially if you know you hear one and you go I have no idea. Right. (laughs) Or, or (laughs) I have a starting point and I have no idea how to get to the end. Right. But it sounds like the, um, the important things for you is one, making sure you actually understand, like clarifying the question, clarifying exactly what the requirements are. Right. And then two talking through it and asking questions throughout. I, I think one of the things I've seen throughout the years is people who will, they get a question they go, okay. And then they're silent and they stare at the board and then they'll start writing but as an interviewer you have no idea what's going on inside their head right and they might be going on the right path they might not be um but you have no no clue unless they're verbalizing right so um apart from obviously clarifying and um you know asking questions and talking throughout are there other things that you would use to break down an interview question or break down a you know systems design question
1: yeah oh absolutely and this is you know part of the experience of having been an architect Mm-hmm. For a number of years too. Uh, once upon a time, I I taught courses on UML. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is uh, f- for those not real familiar. You know, Unified mm-hmm. Modeling Language, which is, a, is an architectural language, used in software that is you know came from OMT, uh, Booch, you know, Jakobson, A lot of these guys put this language together. So for myself, it's diagrammatically capturing something into a conceptual diagram with real terms and a real terms being real world terms, you know, not a computer term, you know, such as, okay, plane, airport, passenger, those are real terms right there as opposed to, you know, object, plane. That's more of a computer science term. So I'll try to get it in a real world presentation like that and say, and ultimately where I try to go in an interview is a use case diagram. Interesting. Use case diagram shows who are the users of this, and then what are the use cases we get there? Because identification of use cases, consider it stories that we get in Agile. That's a key skill, right there. And so, as somebody's describing the problem to you, start thinking in terms of stories and use cases. So, when I, for somebody, who does that, I'll start writing those down. If I'm on a whiteboard, I'll start writing those those down right up there. I said, okay, so here's the stories I'm thinking Here's the use cases right here. And then tell me about who all is using this. And if it's just one person, I'll tie it in with mm-hmm. where it's at. And some of those use cases might have an extends or an includes on it for those familiar with UML. I'll, I'll diagram that up there. Maybe I'll even do a sequence diagram to show for the lifeline, if you're familiar with sequence diagrams, showing the actor, then the lifelines of each method or object and how they interact with each other with the arrow showing the connectivity and what comes back for a return or something like that. Done that, that right there is a more formal way of doing it because what I have found is there's been something kind of kind of lost here in the industry. It happened really in, after really we went heavily into agile where in the waterfall where we spent all this time on design mm-hmm. and we would spend time diagramming thing. And you know, now we can, we've can we got frameworks that help us out quick. We've got you know, short iterations of things where we don't have to do that. And I can put something out quickly. And that's so, I found folks have not really held on to the diagramming skills. If I ask somebody to go to the board and, and diagram something, I'll start drawing some boxes with lines connecting them And then I'll turn around and ask somebody else, can you interpret what was just drawn if you haven't seen it? And if they can't explain, it's it's a real issue uh, for us out there. So, being able to diagrammatically express the problem is a big one out there because if if you can't visualize it, you probably can't solve it. If you can't visualize a bug, you probably can't fix it. Uh, and and we're visual thinkers and it kind of goes back to what we started about on the you know on this particular discussion here about whiteboarding you know that's a tough thing here for interviews is you know i want to be able to do that so when i go for a coding test in this type of environment i would be asking is there something i will be able to diagram on or is there something i'll be able to draw and you know what somebody interviewing you they'll appreciate that and they'll immediately key something in and their mind's like Oh, this person gets it. Yeah, this person wants to think out loud about it. And if somebody says, no, no, we don't have it. We're just going to go right to code. I would be a buyer beware. (laughs) 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 What you might be stepping into there.
0: Sure. Sure. I hear you. Uh, And it, there's ways to do pseudocoding as well. I mean, that, that sounds um, a little bit more um, involved if you have an actual use case, right? But if you just have yeah. a, here's here's our input, here's what you need to make the output be, right? There's ways to do pseudocoding that's much more descriptive um, as well that I think is, is often a lost thing, especially for early career people who may not think a lot about it. Like you can, you can really outline the entire problem. And then the actual coding part of it is fairly simple, right? You're just kind of wiring up the pieces, right? But you can name everything and really tab everything correctly, which I think is something that people often overlook the value of and similar to to what you're talking about, diagramming something, they maybe undervalue um, how useful that can be. One, to get your thoughts out there, but two, to have the other people following along, right? Because I'm sure if you're diagramming something and you're completely off, your interviewer might go, uh, have you thought about, uh, how this might come in right they're going to give you input rather than just you know you're off to the races and um and maybe going down a path that uh isn't fruitful right
1: pseudo is definitely has its place in these interviews uh in that, and there there's a sequence or an order of where you start hitting pseudo i've always felt and that is first step one be sure you understand the problem so there's your questions going back and forth step two visualize it there's your diagramming there's your mental image
0: mm-hmm.
1: step three starting to think structurally about the control flow of something that would be in the program so you know there's our, our if then else, switch you know all these key words that are in you know a lot of these languages mm-hmm. we'll start thinking about that but that's you've already came through quite a path to yeah. get there with that, and I've had folks that I've interviewed with, and very first thing they'll draw up there, believe it or not, is the word "if" with a squiggly line right by it, and then a closing bracket. And I, and I oh boy, let's let's see where you, let's see where they go with this. Uh, nothing wrong with that. If you can pound it out like that, that that's cool. I I have actually seen people do it. Yeah. Um, which makes me think, what's going on in their head? Because you had to decompose it. To get there, if you're really starting right there, you're having to work your way backwards to figure it out. And so getting to pseudo is somewhere farther down that thought of thinking right there. Yeah. Starting off with it right off the bat. Whoops, no. Unless somebody's being very specific on there and saying, I want to see some control flow right off the bat. How would you loop yeah. through that? And that's somebody already calling out, all right, here, she already said loop. I already know what that's going to look like and they want to see some code right now. Okay. And here I go. I would go back to buyer beware of some manager, somebody is asking you for that. Uh, Are they really going to hire somebody that really focuses on breaking those problems down? They they make mistakes too, by the way, they'll have a bad hire and their interview process. So this is a, this is a two-way street. So for those who are, are in these things, always keep that in mind because uh, there's uh, no shortage of, they say there's no shortage of bad programmers. There's no shortage of bad interviewers too.
0: Sure. I I agree with that. Uh, through my time in recruiting, I would say I'd be lucky if it was a 50-50 split of good interviewers and bad interviewers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or maybe I should just say experienced interviewers and you know inexperienced interviewers. Uh, yeah. I I want to be mindful of your time. Do you have any um, any maybe different advice or specific advice for folks who might be early career who are going into technical interviews or even their first systems design interview and they're you know they're terrified. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, that that's a good one because relaxing, breathe. Because when we're really stressed out or something, it's already tense going into one of these things for some folks. Because there's interview anxiety that, that goes on, and you know, and, and I, I keep pointing at the interview. By the way, they're nervous too at times. Sure, they're nervous too because I've found some of these folks that are asking that question. They might be a substitute for somebody else that was supposed to be interviewing you, and they might not actually, actually know the answer, uh, which would be a unveiling thing. But um, always keep that in mind. This is a dialogue. This is a casual conversation. You're not being just measured on code either. You're being measured in your presence, your character, your ability to be asked questions and, and know it's, it's okay to say if you don't know mm-hmm. something here. Um, it's okay if you're not able to get through the problem. That, bear in mind People get hired not being able to get all the way through the problem. People get hired by their approach, by their demeanor. It's the business is people. Mm-hmm. And when people do well, generally the business does well. Uh, that. And so it's as a manager, you're looking for, you know, similar to a customer, there's only two things they buy, you know, solutions to their problems and good feelings and good feelings come from trust and credibility. And that's what you're there to do is to build that trust and credibility. So asking the questions, asking somebody to repeat something but too, by the way, there's a little trick I've seen people to do is there's a saying that if you wanna know who's in control of the conversation, it's the one who's usually asking all the questions. So if you want to take control of the conversation, but if it, ask them a question back, could you clarify that for me? It'll give you a little bit of time to think. Could you repeat that? I'm not really sure if I've quite heard that right. Give you a little bit of time to think on that if you're really feeling under pressure and, and relax on that. I think you're probably going to find, you're going to encounter common problems that are out there. Almost, you know, there's a lot of folks, I think you and I were kind of briefly discussing them a matrix problem sometimes yeah. comes up you know that's a good one because you have to recognize that the code is glue mm-hmm. it's really just glue bringing data to the front bringing front back to the data storage everything you're transporting stuff and that's what that code is doing a lot of times it's very rare we actually have something hard coded in there you know just adding 5 plus 6 equals y <laughs> Yeah. No, it's going to be something that's transporting N plus Z equals something here in parentheses carried into this method, which is now going to feed into here, run. You know, and that's what it's going to be. You're just transporting stuff. So you're you're having a discussion about glue. And yeah, there'll probably be some questions, some specific things about the language because you may want to ask, you know, describe for me this part of the language uh, you know we could come up with all kinds of examples here one of python really php pick one out they come and go there's actually tens of thousands of languages because you have to consider one of the things that when you go through computer science is write a compiler
0: sure uh, some yeah. folks
1: you know oh i'm yeah i'm going to create a language right here and put that out it's a real simplistic thing so yeah that that's where that comes about so yeah there's where to do it just it's it's a relaxation thing and again these are human beings you're you're, they're human too and they want to succeed in the interview they don't want to look like a fool either by the way too and that's that's happened points where i've seen people who come in are really good they're asking the interview and the interview doesn't quite know and the interview said boy i'd love to hire you well the that's guy, the thing. interview same turns same. around and says i'm not so sure if you meet my standard yeah I'm going with this other company
0: <laughs> i always tell people that's what you need to keep in mind going into an interview is they want it to be successful as well right if you check all the boxes and you're the person they want to hire you've just saved them a lot of time and a lot of future interviews right <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah and um always writing questions down you mentioned like there's an un- you know you, you tend to see the same types of questions especially early career um, mm-hmm. I realized in a lot of my interviews I was getting one version of probably five different questions basically there's some variation on that same type of question but it was very often the same thing and about the third time I messed up the same question I went all right maybe I'm going to spend some time write it down and actually solve it in a couple of different ways so next time it comes up you know I can breeze right through it um, and, and that also helps with the nerves a lot if you feel you know at least if you've seen the question before usually you can get, get the solution right or yeah. get close to something right um, so you
1: Go from interview to interview to company to company you'll find out they don't follow the, the dry principle yeah they repeat the same problem
0: oh yeah yep um well last question here uh, do you have any any personal uh technical interview horror stories or anything maybe early career where you were just in a situation where everything went belly up that you're willing to share
1: Oh boy, you're really wanting to dig in here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I have to humble yeah. you
0: before the end, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, I've had some. Uh, I, I've had some real nightmare scenarios actually come up, and it's been a number number of years. But uh, yeah, I I recall somebody I did, uh, and this was kind of a whiteboard interview. Mm-hmm. Interview with three people, and all three of them had their feet propped up on the desk, and one person didn't have any shoes on, barefoot. Wow. Yeah, that was me. My I, I was still kind of taken back. I thought, what kind of culture am I coming in in here? And that's pretty relaxed. And and as I soon started to realize that they had been to a company outing, and all three of them were highly intoxicated. Yikes. <laughs> and one of them, and not everybody gets intoxicated the same way. You have people that become a a happy drunk and some people are a little bit more aggressive. I was lucky enough to get three aggressives. (laughs) I thought I was going to get my ass kicked. (laughs) By asking a question, Uh, my goodness sake. So uh, I I ended up uh, almost ending that interview early myself just by almost intentionally doing bad it's like uh, okay I don't I really don't know if I know this okay, yeah or anything else like boy was <laughs> is here interviewing me and I, and Jack and I aren't getting along
0: <laughs> well I like to ask people that because uh it's good to know that it could always be worse right if there's if you have a terrible interview and you feel like you didn't solve the problem at least there wasn't three drunk assholes, <laughs> you know, berating <laughs> yeah. you while you're trying to whiteboard, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, thank you so much, Brad. I really appreciate you, you coming on um, and, and sharing the knowledge you have. Um, anything else you'd like to add or anything you'd like to, to plug here at the end?
1: Have a happy holiday. Stay safe. Stay healthy and uh, looking forward to canceling my subscription to 2020 uh, <laughs> and get my new subscription to 2021. I hope for a better year and uh, hope all goes well for you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcasting app at the Professional Technical Interviewee. I want to thank my guest and my wonderful editor and producer, Dustin Bays. If you're interested in sharing your technical interview advice and being on the show, please reach out at dorsettaylordev at gmail.com. Until next time, keep practicing.